The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. When I was just a little boy, I struggled with 
How can I be ready for Jesus to come? How can I be ready? And I would come home from church and I would weep. I would cry. And dad would say to me, Raymond, why are you crying? Because I want to be ready for Jesus to come. Now, as I grew older, there was a very clear call of God on my life. I understood that that call was was very real. I knew the presence of God was with me. And then I went off to college, seminary, where I studied theology, did my graduate work for the Masters of Divinity. It was all academics. No one ever asked me about, what is your position in Jesus? No one ever asked me, or said, you should be reading your Bible. You should be living in your scripture. What is your prayer life like? No, those weren't the questions that were asked. It was all academics. And I searched for answers for what it would mean to be a pastor. What was a pastor's job? And at that point in cultural history in America... I'm talking about 1970, 71, even earlier than that, 68, 69. Everyone said, your job, we don't know. It's becoming clear. There was a total change going on. and, And what it finally boiled out to be was the pastor is a program manager. He's a CEO. He runs an organization. And so our board sessions were filled with managing our projects and our programs. In one church that I pastored in Rockville, Maryland, however, we were able to move beyond that, and the elders and the deacons began to meet once a week where we would just pray. And then we began holding all-night prayer services. We began to do other things, searching earnestly after the Lord. But if I'm honest with you, I would have to say it was more because I saw it as an avenue of success than it was an honest searching after God. This hunger for God in my life has ebbed and flowed through the years of my life. God has severely disciplined me, and then I would turn back to the Lord and earnestly seek his face and begin to move away from just the career pastor. But finally, the Lord told me to fire my bishop and leave the denomination, and I did so. And I searched after the Lord. Now, what I'm trying to say to you today is that everything in my culture tries to prevent me from searching after Jesus. Busyness, hobbies, necessities of life. They all want to stand tall and say, I'm the most important thing for you to take care of. You must answer your phone calls. You must do this. You must do that. You must manage. You must, you must, you must, you must. Until finally, 
I said no more. I am going to give myself entirely to searching after Jesus. That's why I titled this broadcast, Do Not Esteem Lightly, Eternally, Eternity. Do not treat it as something unimportant. It is the most important thing a human being can do is to search honestly after Jesus Christ. It's much more important than your job. It's much more important than your money. It's much more important than anything you could imagine you are responsible for. Because we all face death. There is a 100% mortality rate. And as your life moves forward, you begin to see that life is going to pass you by and the day will come when you will molder in the grave. And so what will you do with your eternity? I don't think I've ever heard a person say as they lay on their deathbed, Pastor, I wish I wish I had bought this. Or I wish I had been able to do that. No, the question always comes in an honest Christian is, Pastor, am I ready to face Jesus? Am I ready, Pastor? Well, no, most are not. Very few are. I can only recall a handful of people as a as a senior pastor who has stood by many graves and by many sick beds i can only remember a handful of people who had any sense of awareness that they were ready for eternity now some foolishly said they were but their life demonstrated that they were not and a few just boldly said, look, I don't care where I go next. It's got to be better than this, and I'm not interested in your Jesus. Okay. Okay. At least they were honest. Most are not that honest. I pity them because eternity is a long time to spend in hell totally separated from God. And that is, after all, what hell is, being utterly separated from God. And when you're separated from God, you're separated from life, you're separated from every comfort, you are in torture. And you have an eternity to think about how you should have made a different decision. But I want to come back to this issue that has been so troublesome for me. I feel because of my own wicked heart and because of the culture I'm a part of, because I'm a a part of something that is so insistent, demanding, I mean, this cell phone. I finally turned it off completely. It's always beeping. It's always messaging. It's always, I don't want it. I'm not going to be tied to a telephone. Jonathan Edwards, a man whom I know Jesus loved deeply, and a man I have the utmost respect for, He would spend 16, 17, 18 hours a day in his study, heated by a a small stove, and he would read the scriptures, and he would pray. He knew the most important thing for him was to search after Jesus, and then he made that decision to reverse his grandpa's decision, who was the pastor before him, 
to reverse his grandpa's decision and not to allow the half-converted to be a part of communion or a Christian burial or a Christian marriage. He said, no. If you want a Christian burial, if you want a Christian marriage, if you want the right to come and share communion, then you be totally sold out to Jesus or don't even consider yourself worthy because I will say no to you when you come. Oh, it caused quite a big stir in the church and the community. But as he continued struggling with this issue, I would call it the struggle of modernity. As he struggled with this issue hour after hour, as he cried out to the Lord, as he, as he sought the Lord for revival, the Lord gave him the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now he preached it in his church and he was not a good preacher. He was dry, monotone. He read the manuscript and his whole church just yawned at him. But he was invited to go to another congregation and share the same sermon. And as he shared that sermon, the Holy Spirit fell in power. Women began to shriek as they saw the fire of hell open before them. Men grabbed a hold of the pillars in the church because they thought the church was tipping and they were going to slide into hell. The conviction of God fell on them so heavily, all they cared about was getting right with God. And of course, this was the beginning of the first great awakening in America that prepared the way for the revolution against the British powers that established America. Without Jonathan Edwards being faithful to the call of Jesus, there would have been no revival and there would have been no America. And we would have had a revolution much like the French had, where they utterly repudiated God and just executed whomever they could find. But America was founded on the Judeo-Christian ethic of morality, integrity, hard work, independence, Values that we have lost in America because there is no searching after Jesus. Hear what I'm saying. All of the moral values that you cherish come out of the Judeo-Christian ethic. They do not come out of Hinduism. They do not come out of Buddhism. They don't come out of Shintoism. They don't come out of New Age. And they certainly do not come out of the occult the tarot cards, and the astrology. All of those are utterly false gods that take a person to hell. It does not come out of Islam. Islam and Christianity are as much different as two things can be. Obviously, the God of heaven and the God, the moon God of Allah is totally different one from another. All you have to do is look at the culture of Saudi Arabia or Iraq or Iran and other Muslim countries and say, is that the culture you want to live in? No, it's not. It's repressive. It's angry. It's rigid. I don't want that culture. Do you want the poverty of India? Do you want the harshness? Of Afghanistan? I don't. Everything of value that I cherish flows out of the Judeo-Christian ethic. But here's the problem. We've been so distracted and so numbed Many of you have no time to think. You even tune into this broadcast. Oh, I'll listen for five or six minutes and then off you go. We'll have, like yesterday, 29 people tuned into the broadcast, but only four consistently stayed through the broadcast. Everybody else, well, they were too busy to listen. They had no time to listen. 
We don't have time for Jesus. We're in a hurry. We've got appointments. We've got things we have to do. We've got money to make. We've got errands to run. We've got the laundry to pick up. We've got kids to pick up. We've got to take them to the to the dance studio. We've got to take them to the hockey. We've got to take them to the the gymnastics. We've got to take we've got to take our kids everywhere. We've got to give them every advantage as you prepare them for hell. You don't have time to sit down and read them stories out of the scriptures and and teach them the way of Jesus. No, you teach them the way of the world. You dress them in the clothing of the world. And many of you dress in the clothing of the world. For some reason right now, women want to get naked in America. It's insane. And men want to wear tight, tight clothes. Grow a scruffy beard to prove they're men. What are we doing? We don't want to go back to scripture and search after Jesus. We say, oh, I want Jesus. I love Jesus. Well, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your time? Where does your best energy go? I can tell you as a pastor, and by the way, I was called by the Holy Spirit to be a pastor. I have not chosen myself. This is not something that I would have done. I don't feel like I have any ability to preach or teach or lead others to Jesus. And the truth is, I don't. But Jesus moving in me has been able to accomplish a small, a tiny amount. Why? Because I'm still, I've been so influenced by the demands of the culture and the demands of the world. I mean, do you realize what I did this morning? By God's grace, I was able to spend all morning in the scriptures in meditation and prayer and fasting. I praise God for that opportunity. It means my salvation. I pray it means your salvation too because you hear this broadcast and you listen and you obey. I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking the word of God to you today and every day. Do you have time to listen or do you need to run? Do you need to go? Then go. But where is it you're going? Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? I have to be that honest with you. I can remember on the college campus, a Christian college here in the Washington metro area. I was studying theology. Guess what? I was scorned by most on the campus. They looked down on theology majors. They looked up to pre-med majors. They looked up to nursing majors. They looked up to teachers, but not pastors. We were out of sync. But when the Jesus movement came, suddenly everybody wanted to pray. They were on their face. They were seeking after God. See, when God comes... When the Holy Spirit comes, everything changes. But I'm looking for those wonderful few people who want the Holy Spirit to come and are willing to be the forerunners of that revival work. I'm looking for people who who really just want Jesus. 
And they're not going to invest their time and energy in foolish entertainment or in foolish things of this world or even important things of this world like, look, i got to earn a living. No, you don't have to earn a living. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, given to you. So when you go to that job, you're going there to proclaim the Jesus of Scripture. I remember a number of years ago, there was a bracelet that everyone was wearing, and I was thrilled by it. It came out of that book many years ago written, What Would Jesus Do? It was a parable. I don't think there's any more question you can ask than, What would Jesus do at this job? What would Jesus do in this house? What would Jesus do with this wife? What would Jesus do with this husband? What would Jesus do with this pile of manure that people are trying to push on me that I should be doing? I hope you hear me today. There is one thing that is needful, and that is for you and for me to search after Jesus with all of our hearts because everything in this culture is designed to pull you away from your family, to pull you away from friends, but especially to pull you away from Jesus. to pull you away from Jesus. So you can drink, you can have the alcohol, you can have the wild parties, you can have the drugs, you can have the lust for money and accumulate large amounts of it. You can have all of the games you want to play. You can spend hours playing risk. You can spend hours playing sports. You can do whatever you want to do. But in the end, all that's going to count is Jesus. That's all that's going to count. All that's going to matter to you is where you're going to spend eternity. And you will go before the judge of all the ages. And you will not be able to say, Jesus, I was in a culture that taught me all of these wicked things, and and so I did them. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. The only issue is, do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Does Jesus accept you and call you one of his own? This is not a new problem. In the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. It is the pastors of our day who show utter contempt for the name of Jesus. And then with them, the whole congregation is led astray. So many years ago, my grandson said to me, Papa, Will you help me with a project at church? I said, of course I will. Imagining that it was some kind of mission project. So I said to him, but Michael, what is the project you're working? I said, oh, we need to buy a hot dog machine for the youth center. I said, what? Yes, and Papa, we need to have a popcorn machine for our youth center. They just bought a large screen television. And we have hockey the hockey game. I said, no, Michael, I'm sorry. I can't help you with those projects. Can't help you with that. 
that wicked pastor was leading his young people astray, saying, well, we've got to give them a place to play, and we've got to watch the television, and we've got to play the games, and we've got to... No, you don't. Are you kidding me? Get serious with Jesus. Oh, the, the kids won't care. They won't, they don't want Jesus. They would rather play video games. I've, I was speaking at an Anglican church. And before I went on the platform as the praise and worship music was going, I stood in the back. And I watched as teenager after teenager and young person after young person broke out their cell phones and began to play their video games. Mom and dad had no problem with that. They were in church. That's all that mattered. In the sermon, I I said, young people, teenagers, put your cell phones cell phones down. I have something to tell you. Mom and dad, would you take your cell phone from your children? Oh, people got angry. Some people got up and walked out. Why? They didn't care about worship. They only cared about their cell phones. And I refused to preach to young people who are on their cell phones. Sunday, I had to stop in the midst of preaching and wait and wait and wait in silence until finally I said to one of the young mothers, pardon me, could I have your attention? And I named them. And I said, would you please put your telephone away? There's something much more important here Something much more important going on. She frowned at me with kind of an angry frown and with a frump put her phone away. I'm sorry. Hey, come on. We have lost all of our standards. We we show such disrespect to the Lord. People come floating in late. Even to the prayer chapel, people come floating in late. I stop the service as they walk in and I welcome them. And I say, please, next week, would you be on time? And on time is 15 minutes early. Let's get serious about Jesus here. I refuse to pastor a church that scorns the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening Notice, how have we defiled you, the priests ask, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible? When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? They were, they were being dishonest before God. Somebody would bring in a wonderful, perfect animal to offer as a sacrifice, and they would slip that animal out the back door and bring in their sick animal in its place because that well animal was worth more money than their sick animal. Or even personally, they would bring crippled and diseased animals, which was totally against the law because this was considered the food of God. It represented the perfect offering of Jesus on the cross. Well, did you know that you represent the perfect offering of Jesus on the cross when you are crucified with Christ Jesus. And you show contempt for Jesus when you show up at church late. You show contempt for Jesus when you don't come and pray. You show contempt for Jesus when you're too busy during the week to show up at a simple prayer meeting, you show contempt for Jesus and the body of Christ. We think nothing of 
putting our cell phones in front of Jesus, putting our schedule in front of Jesus. We think nothing of that. On the internet today, we have 11 people who have checked in with this broadcast so far, but we only have three who have stayed. That's on the YouTube. Now, many will listen after the service is over. They listen at night or when it's convenient, and that's okay. But do you see what I'm talking about? No, in another... 1,500 to 2,000 will listen to the podcast. And then those of you who are listening on the radio. Yes, several thousand will listen to this broadcast today. But almost all of you are showing contempt for the Lord by investing all of your time in hobbies and entertainment, going here and going there, socializing, doing all of your duties that are so vital. My dad was very sick the last year of his life. I went home as I regularly did to visit him. Dad believed the same thing that I believe. If you love me, come to my house and see me. Don't call me, just come. And dad got a glass of water and he put it on the table in front of me. He was apt to always be doing illustrations for me. And he put his finger in the water. And then he lifted his finger out of the water. And he said to me, Ray, What difference did it make to the water that I put my finger in the water? Do you see the hole I left when I took it out? No, Dad, I don't. It didn't leave a hole. The water all filled in around it. He said, I'll soon be gone, Ray. And when I leave, everything will fill in around me. And all of the work that I considered to be so vital in my business will all be gone and someone else will do it. Everything I do will be done by another person or it won't be done at all because no one considers it to be important. He said to me, Raymond, there's only one thing that matters. And that's whether or not Jesus will receive you into heaven because you have lived for him. You've been given to him and you have lived a holy life by his power and by his strength. That's all that matters. Well, dad died shortly after that. And I was there as my brothers sorted through his tools and took what they wanted I got his pair of tin snips. Those were precious to me. I had so many memories of dad working with the church. The property was sold. Mother moved to Maryland and lived with my brother, Roger. Everything that dad had in this world disappeared. He had a wonderful old pocket watch, and he'd promised me that pocket watch, and Mother went in the drawer to look for it, and it was gone. It would have been a wonderful, sentimental keepsake. Dad had a a beautiful twenty two rifle. It would have been a valuable keepsake today, a collector's item. He was going to give it to me, and I said, No, Dad, I can't take that. You need to give that to to Don. And Dad said, Yes, I'll do that. And he gave it to my brother Don. Later, it was stolen, and Don lost it. Everything disappeared of Dad's. 
I have a, a book of his sermons. I value that. I use some of his stories in my preaching, particularly the story of the old tramp. Do you hear me? When you die, you will take your finger out of this world, and everything you have done and everything you thought was so important will be gone. And all that will matter is what you did in serving Jesus and whether or not Jesus knows you. Now implore God, verse 9, to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands will he accept you. So the church today, and maybe you say, Oh God, be gracious to me. Hear my prayers. Malachi says, When you show contempt for Jesus, will he receive you? Will he accept you? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. This is God speaking. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. And so we had COVID-19. And the churches were all shut down. They were considered non-essential. And the pastors all agreed and said, yes, we're not essential. We're not essential. But the liquor store was essential. Costco was essential. Wegmans was essential. Giant was essential. Target was essential. But churches aren't essential. I don't know if the Lord can ever forgive you, Pastor, for closing your church. Well, Pastor, we would have been persecuted and fined, and so isn't that what Jesus said would happen? We don't want to be persecuted. No, you want to be loved by the world and accepted by the world. But they say to you, Preacher, you and your church are non-essential. What a shame. What What a wretched shame. And then you think that you can come back after you've been shut down. I've seen figures from 30 to 40%, even 50% of people no longer go to church. Why? Well, why should they? The church said, it's not essential. We're not essential, we said to the whole culture. We're not going to fight for being essential to America. I have great respect for several pastors on the West Coast. I have great respect for the a pastor up in Canada who's gone to jail like three or four times because he said, no, the church is essential and we are not going to shut the church down. We will obey God rather than man. I can't imagine Peter shutting down the church. Or Pastor James, do you think he'd shut down the New Testament church because Rome said you can't meet anymore? Are you kidding me? And the church today thinks that God loves them unconditionally and he's going to save them in the midst of their sin. He's not going to. The Lord says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. Does that sound like he's going to be non-essential? In every place, incense, that is prayers, and pure offerings, men and women who will lay their lives down on the altar of burnt offering. Let me turn to it. Let me turn quickly and read this. You've heard it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, not to the American government, not to the doctors. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to Jesus Christ. Psalm 91. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. I hear people saying, I don't know what God wants me to do. Why? Because you've not laid your life down on that altar of burnt offering. You're still in charge and you're still pleasing the world, the flesh, and the devil. The American church has not laid its life down on the altar. They said instead, yes, we're non-essential. Shut us down. You profane. By saying of the Lord's table, it's defiled. And of its food, it's contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you're contemptuous says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hand? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations not to be labeled non-essential. Pastor, you don't need to be angry. I am angry. I'm angry that the name of the Lord has been so despised and so rejected and treated so contemptuously by the American church. And I'm also not happy with me. For I have been distracted from the work of seeking the face of Jesus by trying to do what would make me loved and accepted by the world, by those in the church. We preachers have a habit of pulling our punches and not saying things straight because we don't want to make anybody unhappy. Oh, my brother, my sister. Do you understand? Jesus is a great God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the master. He is the savior. And for us to treat him with contempt in the little things of showing up late, of being on our cell phones, of playing video games, of being consumed with the duties of life, quote, unquote. Oh, I've got to go shopping. Stop it. Get alone with God. Repent of your sins and seek his face with all of your heart. Stop being a pushover. The American church is considered by America to be non-essential. And all the pastors, almost without exception, said, Yes, sir, we are non-essential. We will bow to the great idol of Nebuchadnezzar. We will bow down. Don't throw us in the fiery furnace. We're, We're afraid. Come on. When is the church going to get a backbone? And when when are pastors going to stop preaching pleasant little lovely sermons to inspire and to entertain and to tell some jokes about the football? Sit with your little cup of coffee and, and eat your little frosted donut. Come on. When are we going to get serious about being Christians? And recognize that we are a part of something that is essential. It is salvation. Well, please share this broadcast today with others. My heart is broken. And I do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord on my life. I know he is a God of love, but also a God of majesty and power and no compromise. He's not going to put up with sin. 
Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I want to thank Karen and others who have so encouraged my heart by giving. I've lost my my car keys and my house keys and my mailbox keys, and I've been able to replace the house key and the and the car key, but I've not been able to replace for this last week the keys to the post office. I've got to go there today and get new keys and see what you have sent. <laughs> but I tell you, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for thank you for listening walking with me. I'm not going to lighten up. I'm sorry, I'm not going to back off. I don't consider the church to be non-essential. I consider it to be everything. It is the body of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me it's non-essential or you'll get fire from me. (laughs) You can write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can give online, and that always is also such an encouragement to my heart. I look forward to hearing from you every month, and then new people are beginning to give, and I thank you. This is not about me. It's about Jesus and the work of the kingdom of God. And if you want to be a part of that kingdom, then give sacrificially. Don't hold in contempt the table of the Lord, but lay your life down. Lord, I pray for every person who's listening to this broadcast today. Lord, I come knowing that you alone by your spirit, can bring conviction to the heart of man or woman. I'm asking for a revelation of your power and of your will, of your glory, of your majesty, of your cross, of your resurrection. I'm asking for a revelation of your love to every person listening today. Lord, some are sick. And I just come now in your name and bind that sickness in the name of Jesus. Some are suffering exquisite pain. Lord, would you have them put that on the altar burn offering? Would you have them make the decision to give up all stubbornness and all rebellion and lay that sickness and their own hearts on that altar burn offering? I bind that sickness in the name of Jesus and say, be gone. You have no right. We are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I love you. I'm very grateful for you. God bless you today. Walk in his presence and don't don't hold his table in contempt. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory went great.